When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Dear Young Rocker is more than just a podcast about music. It's a memoir of how it feels to survive high school when you don't fit in and the freeing feeling of picking up a guitar for the first time. It's also advice for anyone who is or was young and has ever felt weird or alone. Dear Young Rocker is written and narrated by me, Chelsea Erson, executive produced by Jake Brennan, and comes to you from Double Elvis Productions. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Carolyn. And we have talked about siblings and sibling relationships on the podcast before. Uh, we did a podcast a while ago on whether birth order affects your personality and also did a podcast on sister relationships. And every time, well, each of those times, <laughs> um, people wrote in saying, hey, you know, I'm an only child. I feel a little bit left out of this research. Oh, only children feel left out of everything. Yeah. What about what about us? I know. So today... We are going to talk about you, only children. This is for you. And I'm looking at you right now, Caroline, because guess what, folks? Caroline is an only child. Mostly. Mostly my my brother child. would argue with you, but he is my half-brother. Mm-hmm. I was I was raised an only child. My brother is 13 years older, which I like to remind him of. <laughs> He's old. But um yeah, I uh, I had a good childhood. I I was <laughs> I was a little spoiled. Yeah. I got to say that I fit that I fit that part of the stereotype, but I, I think I ended up fine. I'm a nice person. I let people, I let strangers talk to me on Marta in the morning. <laughs> you know, I'll I'll give people money sometimes. Marta is Atlanta's uh, rail public rail station, right? And it's system. I try not to make eye contact because I really don't want strangers to talk to me. But I'm getting off on a tangent. <laughs> let's let's talk about some yeah. Let's talk about some stereotypes. Yeah, because I'm I'm standing at the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, old time listeners might already know that I'm the youngest of five children. So, I mean, Kristen and I really shouldn't even get along. Yeah, and my oldest sibling is 15 years older than me. Wow. Talk about super old. How old is your middle sister? Uh, The next one up is uh, four years older than me. So we're quite a quite a spread. Um, But you have so so my my stereotypes are what, Caroline? Uh, Last born children. It's not it's not pretty. I mean, you're adorable. You're considered the baby of the family. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. you you are you, you tend to get away with things. Oh, yes. Um, you you kind of get away with murder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're 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 social and outgoing, financially responsible and charming. And let's not forget manipulative. And if you've listened to the psychopath podcast, oh, no, that does not mean that all our youngest children are psychopaths. And I'm only and, and I'm left handed. Oh this Lord, this is not letting up to some bad things. Uh, well, you know what? 
the as as most of you probably know, the stereotype for only children not so flattering either. Uh, this is coming from psychologist Kevin Lehman, who is the author of the Birth Order book, uh, and he was talking to CBS News about. Uh, birth order stereotypes, and he writes that only children are firstborns in triplicate. Oh, God. You're even more responsible, hey, Mm -hmm. and you're even more of a perfectionist, and you usually get along with people older than yourself, but uh, you also tend to be critical, self-centered, unnecessarily structured. Hmm. uh, I do like routine. And horribly lonely. (laughs) That is not that's in my notes, lonely, all caps. <laughs> lonely. Um, yeah, well, only children. It's interesting because when I was growing up, the thing that people told my parents most was, yeah, she's so mature for mm-hmm. her age. Mm-hmm. I was I was a little adult, and that's what a lot of people say about only children. Because you're just hanging out with your parents all the time. Yeah, there was um, a blogger at the Wall Street Journal, Sarah Schaefer uh, Munoz, who wrote about how she was worried that her, um, her six-year-old only daughter was becoming kind of too much of a little adult because she'd have these fake phone conversations all the time. But she would talk about things that trading stock. Yeah, she had overheard her parents talking about, like, you know, the recession these days. Not good. Well, you know, but part of that, part of what that leads to um, is higher verbal scores. Mm -hmm. Only children tend to have higher verbal scores on tests and everything because... Um, they've been surrounded by adults speaking adult language. You do talk pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> Yeehaw. Um, but it's important to, to talk about only children these days, too, because thanks to the recession, uh, more parents are opting for only child households. Because guess what, folks? Raising a kid, uh, here's breaking news, is not cheap. Yeah. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, raising a child in the United States costs around $286,000, and that's not including college. And that's probably an average child. That's probably yeah. not like a Veruca Salt type mm-hmm. <laughs> who wants everything and the golden goose. Uh, but according to the 2010 Pew Survey of American Motherhood, only 3% of adults said that one child was ideal, whereas 46% said two was the ideal number of kids. Okay. But so. it seems like, I mean, it seems like, uh, it's, it's really shooting up there. The amount of people having just one child. Right. Even though we might not think that that, there's still some, this, this negative association, um, with, uh, having an only child for some reason in our, our collective psyche, but the number is rising. Um, and since the early 1960s, according to the National Center for Health Statistics, single child families have almost doubled to about one in five. Hmm. So you are not uncommon. Right. I'm not alone, despite being so, so alone. alone. <laughs> um, but it's interesting that you mentioned, um, you know, that that all, a very small number of people consider it ideal to have only one child, and that it, that's sort of an idea that persists. And it's all G. Stanley Hall's fault. Yeah. Uh, he is known as the, the father of modern psychology, but my goodness, uh, Dr. Hall did not really like only children. No, he said it was a disease in itself. 
to be an only child. And this comes from an 1896 study that he conducted uh, called Of Peculiar and Exceptional Children, in which he he studied these these anomalies, which Mm -hmm. were only children at the time, and uh, he just thought that they were complete and total misfits. Right. Now, granted, we're talking about uh, a study conducted in 1896 might not have the same kind of methodological rigor that a study today, we would hope, would have, but uh, Granville Stanley Hall is really the one who perpetuated yeah. that negative stereotype that has only snowballed since then. And psychologist Tony Falbo uh, from UT Austin called Hall a product of his time, and he really was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done a lot of um, family research, genealogy research, and it was not uncommon to find a branch of the family that had a whole lot of, of offshoots. I mean, I had some relatives who had 13 kids. I'm like, what do you do with 13 kids? You don't live on a farm. You don't have to milk cows. What are they all doing? How do they fit in the house? But, I mean, it wasn't uncommon. Well, it makes sense because a lot of the that preference for larger families goes back to um, more agrarian times mm-hmm. because children were more seen as resources who could farm the land. And this is a cross-cultural uh, thing that California State University researcher Adrian uh, Mancias has noted. She studied why that only child stereotype exists, and she says that it, it exists almost everywhere, and it, it's because... Um, you know, they're, they're more helping hands. If you have land, then you have more people to, to tend to it. Okay. So a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, <laughs> then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh, my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally, and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. Okay, the new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman have never been more hilarious as America's favorite moms turned gangsters, Beth, Ruby, and Annie. Already this season, there have been some big twists and breathtaking surprises. The fans love it, and the critics do, too. Variety calls good girls addictive and audacious. Entertainment Weekly says it's just what you need, and Rotten Tomatoes certifies good girls 100% fresh. So, if you've missed any of the new season, get yourself online and stream it now. And Sundays on NBC, watch it live. There's sure to be big twists and huge surprises. So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone. The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime. Right. Falbo said that Hall's childhood was about the fraternizing and socializing children enjoyed with a large number of brothers, sisters, and cousins, the adventures and explorations in the countryside, and a house filled with kids. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... His is a perspective that I can understand and that I have experienced from someone in my own life. My freshman roommate in college came from a very large family. She was very close with all of her brothers and sisters. 
um, which is great. I mm-hmm. mean, more power to you. I mean, it's great to have those really close sibling relationships. But she honestly, honestly felt sorry for me that I had grown up as an only child. And I'm sitting here like, I had a lot of toys. I was fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. There are, there are obvious benefits on either side uh, because it all goes back to that issue of resources. Because on the one hand, I, even though... Um, you know, my next sibling up was four years, so there was always kind of a gap. Um, but, you know, I might have had the resources of uh, having, uh, you know, ki- other kids around mm-hmm. to play with if I wanted to. Although yeah. at certain ages, they were like, Kristen, you're too young. Go play with your dolls alone. <laughs> um, whereas you got the undivided resources of your parents, which is why Tony Falbo um, at UT Austin has concluded that, you know what? Being an only child is pretty grand. Yes. Falbo points out that when a college education has to be provided for one child as opposed to, you know, three, four, it's more likely that the one child will not only go to college, but also may be sent to a more prestigious, expensive school because maybe the parents have saved money or even if they haven't saved money, there's just more resources to send that kid to possibly a better school. Mm -hmm. And along with that, parents of only children do tend to set higher um, set higher expectations for that one child that they have, which might be one of the reasons why they do, as you mentioned earlier, Caroline, tend to score higher on achievement tests. Right. And there's a lot of, but there's a lot of pressure put on only children, like you said. And, and it's the same kind of thing as firstborns experience. So your, your oldest sister might have experienced something like this. And, um, only children and firstborns tend to have a lot of that parental pressure. They tend to be perfectionists, and they're like, okay, mom and dad have a lot of expectations for me. I'm going to try to to please them. And so both only children and firstborns tend to be people pleasers. Mm-hmm. They want to make their bed the best. <laughs> they want to they want to do really well on their homework and pitch in for, for with household chores and everything like that. But when everything shakes out, um, Tony Falbo, who's been studying only children since the 70s, um, which includes going back and restudying those old studies that were that were conducted. She found that um, when you put a bunch of people in a room, you know, older only children, people like me from large families and everything in between, their personalities are indistinguishable. You know, they don't stand out as some sore thumbs who are, you know, in the corner sneering at everyone and then, uh, <laughs> Maybe their arms crossed. Those people have anxiety disorders. <laughs> um, yeah, in Falbo's book, The Single Child Family, she actually covered a hundred years worth of studies about only children and came up with, yeah, they're fine. Mm-hmm. They're really not disadvantaged. There was a 2004 study by Douglas Downey of Ohio State University. He looked at more than 20,000 kindergartners and found that teachers rated only children as having poor social skills than their peers who had at least one sibling. And the teachers said they had less self-control, fewer interpersonal skills, and more behavioral problems. But what's interesting is that when Downey performed a follow-up study, a follow-up analysis of these kindergartners who uh, were then in fifth grade, there really was no difference in their social skills between uh, the only children and the kids from big families. And that's, he pretty much chalks that up to, look, kids have friends. I mm-hmm. mean, you might be an only, ch- you might be, I don't know, have less developed social skills if you're an only child going to school for the first time, going mm-hmm. to preschool or kindergarten. But that, that pretty rapidly disappears as you join play groups, maybe play sports or, you know, take lessons of some kind. 
basically kids do get that interaction and the interaction is what helps them develop social skills. Right. And the reason why, one of the reasons why Downey went back and looked at that original 2004 study cohort was because he, uh, in 2010, got together with another sociologist um, and they drew on data from the U.S. National Longitudinal Study of Adolescent Health to look at 13,000 middle school and high school kids. And rather than having teachers rating them, mm-hmm. they instead asked these kids to name five friends in their school in a process that would be termed peer nomination. And they found that only children were just as likely to be named uh, as friends as those kids who had siblings. Right. So they were thinking, oh, well, hey, you know what? Looks like looks like they catch up. Maybe you lag behind a little bit at first when yeah. you're uh, having your imaginary phone calls about the, the banking crisis. Yeah. Well, you know what? I tried to have an imaginary friend one time because I just, like as a child, I was aware that other people had imaginary mm-hmm. friends. And I tried and I just thought, well, there's no one here. This is really boring. I'm going to go back to playing with my Barbies. None of these imaginary friends are interesting enough. <laughs> Yeah, critical. So (laughs) critical. But let's talk about China, because uh, Tony Falbo studied 4,000 children in China, because what better place to study uh, only child pathologies than the land of the one-child policy? Exactly. That has been in place for 30 years. That is a lot of people growing up without siblings. Yeah. Um, Yeah, she says, Falbo says that, People were worried that these quote-unquote little emperors, as they call them, would not reflect China's collectivist values and that they would end up with an entire generation of self-centered brats. But she found that that wasn't the case. But it seems like that policy, she says, uh, is being relaxed because it really has taxed the country's social services system. So it seems like more people are going to be able to have more than one child, but it's a question of whether they want to. Yeah, uh, the Beijing Institute interviewed uh, the city's young adult population who were only children, and 52% said that they did want one child, and 25% said, you know what, I don't, I don't need kids at all. That's a huge chunk. Yeah. That's a really big chunk of the population that they interviewed that said they didn't want any children, which leads to more worries about the social services system and who is going to care for the aging population. Well, that's that's the one big impact um, with only children, especially with the, the aging baby boomer population, because as your parents age, if you're an only child, I mean, that you you are the resource right. as your parents get older. It's scary. I mean, it's scary to think that I mean, I'm, I'm kind of an exception because mm-hmm. I have a half brother who would help me. And I mean, I we would help each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can see how scary it is to be an only child and be responsible for your aging parents who are sick and you have to make decisions all on your own about, mm-hmm. well, you know, can they take care of themselves anymore? Do they move in with me? Do I put them in a nursing home? You know, stuff like that. I had a friend uh, whose father passed away a few years ago and she was responsible for a lot of the stuff that comes along with what you have to deal with in terms of paperwork, right. expenses and all that stuff. And it was a lot for her to handle. Maybe that's the flip side of, you know, receiving all of those parental resources up front when you're growing up. It's like, well, hey, guess what, kid? <laughs> now it's your turn. Yeah. Yeah. You owe your parents, I guess. <laughs> Uh, but China and the United States are not uh, the only places where 
only children and a, and a lowering birth rate in general is happening. Newsweek recently reported that this is going on a lot in Europe, especially in Italy, which has one of the lowest birth rates in the world at an average of 1.8. How do you have a 0.8 child? I'm not sure. (laughs) Uh, Average of 1.8 per woman, uh, which is fewer births than deaths every year. And by the way, yeah, I know that since 1.8 is an average, it doesn't mean that you can have a 0.8 baby. (laughs) So just... Before people jump on their smartphones That's or, what that means. or laptops to send an email. Right. Um, and some of the, according to Newsweek, some of the uh, issues that lead to having fewer children are, you know, we've touched on it, economic uncertainty, working parents. And something I've read about before in other situations, parents who wait to have kids and end up wanting to maintain that lifestyle. Mm. People who are either getting married later or just getting married and then having children later, they're accustomed to a certain degree of you know, a certain lifestyle. They might want to maintain it. You know, like, oh, well, we have just one kid, so we're going to go off to Tanzania because we can afford it. Let's go on safari. Um, there's also better contraception and uh, migration to urban areas. So if you really have the strong desire to live somewhere super urban, you know, not get a house with a yard, get an mm-hmm. apartment instead, you probably don't want to have seven kids, I guess. But uh, demographers that were interviewed by Time magazine also noted that they've noticed in studies that uh, they've done of parenthood that a lot of times if you have people who have one children will fall in love with that first child and really want another. And maybe right. that's where that um, that Pew research, you know, two two children as the the ideal number kind of comes into play. They just play. want to keep going. Yeah, you have one, you're like, oh my God, you're the coolest thing in the world. Let's get another one. Right. Well, going back to Falbo, she said that many polls show that lots of families have a second child for no other reason than to prevent the first child from growing up without siblings. So there's a lot of reasons that people yeah. have more than one. And a lot of um, a lot of negativity that's imposed on those ch- parents who choose to have only children. Yeah. You know, they feel a strange, it seems like a, a strange guilt for for just having one. Yeah, that Time magazine article really talked talked to a lot of parents who who felt guilty. Mm-hmm. They felt attacked by strangers, you know. And I just it's none of your business. Who, you know, you don't know why people are only having one child. They could have made the decision for whatever reason or maybe they're just unable to. Mm-hmm. But there were psychologists back in Freud's day who were encouraging families to adopt a second child, or adopt however many children if they could not conceive a second one, just to emotionally balance the family. Well, and Freud himself also wrote that only children were prone to sexual identity problems. Yeah. So, I mean, for a century plus, uh, only children have been battling these negative stereotypes. And maybe the sooner that research from Falbo and others leaks into the mainstream, you know, parents of only children don't have to worry that their children will be selfish, maladjusted Lonely misanthropes. Yeah. I mean, it it depends on the parents. It depends on what you want, how you grew up. You know, Uh, a friend of mine who grew up as an only child wanted 17 kids, you Mm -hmm. know, but then she had her first one. She's like, oh, that was a tough pregnancy. (laughs) This is an expensive little bundle of joy. Well, I don't know. $286,000. Yeah. Goodbye, nice house for that. A big <laughs> chunk of change. Uh, and so I think just to maybe to sign off and to uh, for for a little added proof that, it, you know, in addition to yourself, Caroline, there are plenty of successful only children out there. How about some notable 
onlys. Yeah, throw them out. Well, Chelsea Clinton, mm-hmm. obviously. Robin Williams. Hey. <laughs> Tiger Woods. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Wait, you... ti- Tiger, maybe Tiger Woods isn't a good example. Of... Tiger Woods. Hey, but successful. Very athletic, successful. Yes, athletic prowess. His parents were very involved in his <laughs> golfing. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, because I know there is a legion of Buffy fans listening right now. Alicia Keys. Natalie Portman. Cary Grant. Swoon. Elvis, <laughs> although he was technically born a twin and his twin died um, and kind of haunted him. Uh, John Updike, Lance Armstrong, and Frank Sinatra. And here's uh, a quote from Natalie Portman about being an only child. She said, I would have never been an actress if I weren't an only child because my parents would have never let me be the star of the family at the expense of another child. So there you go again. Resources. Yeah. It's a stage. It is a stage. Yeah. No, um, yeah, my mom didn't. My mom had me and was like, done. <laughs> well, they didn't. My parents didn't want kids. You know, my dad had my brother from a previous marriage, and he was like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. And then one day my mother was just like, Chad, I want a little girl. And he was like, well, I guess if it's a little girl, <laughs> it, it would be fine. And so then my aunt tells a story. She's like, I just prayed to Jesus that your mom and dad would have a little girl. And he answered my prayers. Here you are today. <laughs> that is precious. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they, I guess they got lucky. Yeah, so so R is one the loneliest number? Absolutely not. No, five five was a lo- lonely number sometimes. Even though there were other children in my house, I did play by myself a lot. Yeah, my yeah, family. I just family dynamics are very interesting, mm-hmm. and it varies from family to family. Yeah, sure. My mom was the oldest of five, and she was and is a little dictator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so only children, I hope that uh I hope that you um will send us your experiences of yeah. being of being an only child and dealing with that only child stereotype and parents out there too who have chosen to have one child have you received any kind of um any kind of pressure from parents or friends or just random strangers? Yeah, I also want to know if only children out there have felt the need to hide it. Because mm. I always get the same reaction from, oh, my God, I would not have thought you were an only child. I'm like, you know what? Uh, wh- because what you're so well-adjusted. Thank you. So send us your thoughts. Momstuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. We've got a couple of emails here in response to our episode on sex education. And by episode, I should have said two episodes on sex ed. Um, and I thought that these were great because they, they're directly from kids right now who are in the school system. Okay, so a recent study found that a great hair day makes you happier and more confident. But that same study also revealed that 95% of women don't feel great about their hair. I can definitely relate to the confidence part because if my hair is doing something a little weird, something I don't want it to do, (laughs) then I, I can't stop thinking about it the rest of the day. Oh my God, we've all been there. Pantene's rose water collection feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. Your hair doesn't look really great. Thank you. I actually worked in a place for a while that was very sensitive environmentally and we weren't allowed to use shampoos that had sulfate in them. So that's something that I look for these days. And bonus, I love the way that my hair looks now. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. Here's the thing. Saving money with GEICO is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. 
he never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Uh, so this is coming from Allison. She's 16 years old, and she writes, I really enjoyed your podcast on sex ed and would like to share my experience in the public schools. When I was in middle school, my science class was given the scare tactic sex talk one day where we learned about STDs and all the bad things sex can do to you. I was a very innocent seventh grader who didn't know anything about sex at the time, so after the talk, I had to ask my friends about some of the things she mentioned but didn't explain. Uh, then in 10th grade, I took biology and simply fell in love with the subject because I had such a wonderful teacher. When we got to the human reproduction unit, she put a jar in the front of the room and let us write down any questions about sex we would like to ask anonymously. She answered all the questions at the beginning of class each day in a very straightforward and uncensored manner. I feel like that was the perfect sex education, uncensored and straightforward. Anyhow, now I'm getting very familiar with the scientific aspect of sex and reproduction, and I'm also looking forward to going to college to study neurobiology. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Allison. This is from Tatum. She says, I'm 16, and I recently went through sex ed in my school. It was taught in my health class, and it was a part of a unit about the body and stuff. Sure, we talked about abstinence, but my teacher went through other methods to prevent pregnancy and STIs as well. The thing is, we are not eligible to take this class until at least sophomore year, and some people don't take it until senior year. And I know for a fact that at least one of my classmates had been sexually active for years. It just seemed to me to be a little late in tackling this. Of course, it is better late than never, but all of the sex ed previously was more about dangers and not about preventing them. I think that maybe this should be more constantly addressed over the years and not just in set time classes, because by the time the set class comes along, it may be too late perfect example a girl in my grade just had a kid she got pregnant by the second semester of her sophomore year but what i can say is that the awkward factor went from my eighth grade science teacher blushing at having to write down the names for genitalia to more open discussions in the health classroom i just hope that those open discussions can come a bit sooner so thanks to tatum and allison and everyone else who has written in mom stuff at howstuffworks.com is the email address and we'd love to see you over on Facebook as well and on Twitter at Mom Stuff Podcast. And of course, you can head over to the blog during the week. It's at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben, dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. 
Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.